hopefully won't leave out, leave out too much. Um, before we get started, though, we'll have a short prayer for the class. Dear God in heaven, thank you so much for the first day of the week. We thank you that in your infinite wisdom, along with your Father and the Spirit, that you revealed your minds to us uh, in your word. And we are so thankful for this book of encouragement uh, for your people 2,000 years ago, but also for us today. We pray that we'll uh, learn lessons from it like we have so far, and we'll continue to and be better people and look forward to that great day when we can enjoy the blessings in your presence. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> Pardon me. In chapter 21, we, um, the story sort of starts when we talk about the, the fellowship, the perfect fellowship with God and his perfect protection. Uh, and, and we know that as God's painting this picture, it's, it's a physical picture, which is all we can understand anyway, uh, as far as that goes. And, but it represents lessons and a message, spiritual message for us, meant to encourage us and for us to hang in there. So, <clears throat> When he talks about, you know, the New Jerusalem and, and the, the, the walls, the perfect cube, the 1,500-mile perfect cube, and, and all of the beautiful uh, precious stones that, that, he, that he mentions there, um, <clears throat> the gates, the 12 gates, the, the symmetry, the, the beauty of all of that, it's for our minds to be able to make some evaluation so that we can have an appreciation for uh, what those things represent spiritually. Do we know 100% what each of those things mean? No, we don't, <clears throat> but they mean something. And uh, so if we can just walk away with a better appreciation of, uh, even from our lesson this morning and, and on the Mount of Transfiguration, um, they saw that same John that saw that transfiguration is the same John who is writing this through, the, through uh, the Holy Spirit's inspiration. And these are eyewitnesses of people, uh, of people who saw these things. So um, we'll continue uh, in, in chapter 22, this, 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 uh, the glory of New Jerusalem, if you will, uh, when, he, when he talks about in verse 1, get over there. In verse 1, <clears throat> And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Every time I read this, I think my grandparents had, they, in north central Tennessee, um, they never had running, well, at the end they did, they never had running water or <clears throat> nothing but outhouses and all of that. But I remember as a kid, we were down there, and our job, as we got pretty good size, kids, you know, 9, 10 years old, was to go on down under the hill. They call it running water. We run down under the hill and brought back water in buckets. And that was the water we used for that day. We did it twice a day. <clears throat> and that, that uh, water coming out of this mountain in my grandmother's 
place was you could just drink the water. It was ice cold, and you could just drink it with a cup or with your hands when you're kids. You know, we don't have any sense. You, you just drink it like a dog, you know, with, 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 and the water was wonderful. The water was wonderful. And I can't help but think of that when I see and I read this. This was a river of the water of life. This was a little spring we had that the earth had filtered and it was just very, very pure water. The, the river of the water of life. Do you know of any rivers on the planet that are that pure and that clear and that, that wonderful? Of course, the answer is no. Most rivers are very dirty. Um, and unfortunately, getting a lot of them are polluted now. So why do you think this, um, <clears throat> this pure river, the water of life, where does it proceed from? The throne. The throne of God. So what else could it be but pure water of life? Now, you remember over in John 4 when the woman at the well, when Jesus went to the woman in the well, was talking with her. It's one of my favorite um, interactions of Jesus with an individual. And it goes on and on, a good bit of chapter 4. And <clears throat> he was tired. He had emotions and feelings like we do. He slept. He was tired. Uh, he was thirsty, and the woman came to the well to, to, to draw some water. And what did Jesus say? Before you do that, could you draw me a, a cup of water? And um, she goes on talking about that. Of course, Jesus had a spiritual application. And what did he tell that woman? If you knew who was talking to you, if you really knew, well, we know the Messiah is going to come, and he said, I who talk to you am he. And I have the, the water of life, this water of life we're, we're talking about here. And if you drink it, you'll what? You'll never thirst again. Is he talking about physical water? Is he talking about physical water here? No. No, he's not. Um, water, obviously, particularly in the desert, as we all appreciate, maybe more than just about anybody on the earth, uh, unless it's the Middle East or something like that. We appreciate water, and water is the source of all life. And it says it's clear and pure, and it comes from God, this river. There's plenty. It's not a, it's not a stream. It's turn on the faucet. have got a leaky faucet here, and I hope you can get a little bit of that water. Now, this is the river, the water of life. Um, it proceeds from the throne of God. And after reading verse 2, I'd be curious to see what you think. In the middle of its street, and on either side of the river, was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits. I've read that hundreds of times. Where is this tree located? Compared to the river and to the street. It sounds like it's in the middle of the street. There you go. I think, that, I think that's right. That this, this tree of life, we'll talk about what that means in a second. This tree of life is in the middle of the street. In the middle of the, and, and the, and the water's running on both, and, and it has its fruit that comes over on both sides of the street. That seems, you know, in this mental, in this visual that, that God gives us, I think that's true. And then it says, this tree of life, 
this tree of life, which bore 12 fruits. One of God's favorite numbers is 12, it appears. And it, and it bears this tree. We'll talk about what that tree means in a second, but let's talk about the fruit first. Each uh, bears 12 fruits, uh, every, uh, one each month. Each tree yielding its fruit every month. Do most trees bear fruit every month that we're aware of? No. One month, maybe? Uh, you get to some of the citrus, it can just hang on the tree for a couple of months or whatever, but generally not. What does that say? What does that imply? This, this fruit that's in the midst, this tree of, from the free tree of life, it's surrounded by the water of life, it's proceeding from God's throne, and these, these fruits, what does that imply? How many months in a, in a year? Twelve. So what does that say? It's ever-bearing for sure, and what's so critical about that? I'm sorry, somebody? Eternal life-giving. Eternal life-giving. Ever-bearing. Eternal life-giving. Now, have we read about the tree of life before? Hint, Genesis 3, I believe. 2 or 3? 3, I think. Have we read of this before? We have. Nobody going to have access to this because you forfeited your right in the paradise of God because of sin. And he took that tree back to heaven. And we're going to have access to that again in God's perfect paradise. Only this time it will never go away. Ryan? I think so. Uh, do you have that handy? Oh, would you mind reading that? Starting in verse 12, along the bank of the river, on this side and that, grow all kinds of trees of useful food. Their leaves will not wither, and their fruit will not fail. They will bear fruit every month because their water flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food, and their leaves for medicine. Mm-hmm. Leaves are the, the, the normally... Uh, do you get healing from leaves on trees, generally speaking? No, not really. What do you think that means here, or what could it mean? Who has access, let me back up one step. Who has access to the tree of life? Christians or non-Christians? Christians, of course. These, these leaves, um, Christians and their lives for 2,000 years have their influence, has, 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 has Christ's influence, has it influenced the nations? You better believe it, Rick. That's, that's absolutely true. So in a sense, and I, here again, we don't know 100%, but these leaves... Have they healed the nations? In a sense, they certainly have. Our legal system, what's left of it, was uh, based on, is based on biblical principles. We are a, pardon me, uh, this used to be a Christian nation. 
the influences of Jesus and, on, and his people, I think, has preserved this nation. These leaves, so to speak, have, have healed the nations. I, I, that's what it could mean. I wouldn't argue about that or say that. But I, I think there's some merit to that. Now, this tree of life, if you would, I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians 1. Verses 17 and 18. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 17 and 18. 1 Corinthians 1, 17 and 18. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of uh, wisdom of words, lest the, notice, the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now, this metaphor of the cross, is it the cross? Is it the literal wood? Is it, could we, is it stretching to say that, that the tree of life for us is what? Jesus, the cross, the metaphor. Paul uses that very succinctly there. That this, this cross that Jesus hanged, that hung on and died for us uh, and saves us, in a sense, is a tree of life. A puzzle looks, and that's okay. When you see a puzzle look on Don's face, yeah, that, that's interesting. But when you, when you tie that into 1 Corinthians 1, I don't like it stretching at all to say that we're going to have, remember this is, a, this is a, a picture that God's painting for us, that we're going to have access to this tree of life. Paul called it the cross of Christ in 1 Corinthians 1. And as, as Don said, it's going to be eternal we're going to be able to share in its benefits, its fruit, the water proceeding from God's throne that never dries up, so to speak. And the influence of Christianity there in verse, verse 2 has influenced the nations. I believe that's what that means. Now, I, you know, I wouldn't, if you got some other thoughts on that, that's okay. Uh, Sean. That's right. Because of what Jesus did at the cross, he's the source. His work at the cross is the source of our eternal life. It's the reason why we're going to live forever. That's right. And it's the tree of life, is it not, Rick? I think that I think I don't disagree with that at all. That that um, not that's some very valid points. I, I agree with that. Uh, Don, good point. There is there is a theme that begins in Genesis, which we're going to look at here shortly. But 
No, that's right. The gospel. That's true. Paul emphasizes that in the book of Romans, and now here you see the effects of that that is going to last through an eternity. So, no, no, I, th no, I think. The word of God that is giving life. Uh, that's absolutely true. That's absolutely true. Um, 1 John 1 and verse 7, we should know that. What does it say? If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, his blood continually cleanses us from all sin. And this idea of walking in the light is a continual process. If we continually, and that ties into what you guys said, if we continually walk in the light, he continually will forgive us of our sins if what? If we repent. Well, you know, because we, sometimes we, we think God has some big eraser that every time I sin, oh, that, I get his name out of there. That's not true. That's not true at all. That's not true at all. Uh, he'd have to have a giant eraser. He knows our hearts, and if we continually walk in the light, he continually is to forgive us of our sins if we continually repent. That's just what the Bible says. Yeah. Good points. Very good points from all of you. A anything before we move on to verse 3? Any other comments? Good comments. <clears throat> Pardon me. And there shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, <clears throat> and his servants shall serve him. What kind of, what, what does that allude to, the curse? What, no more sin for sure? Death for sure. What did God do after the tree of life was taken away in Genesis 3? He cursed the ground. And he said, you had it pretty good here. <clears throat> you had it very good here, by the way. Now you're going to be sweating for a living. And this ground's not going to yield like it used to. And you're going to have to, you got to work, you have to work hard. I've, I'm going to curse the ground. You'll be able to live. I'll make sure of that. But you're not going to live like you could before when the tree of life was there. You sinned, separated you, separated me from you, God said. And that curse, the curse of sin, the curse of death, all these things, absolutely true. But that curse that I cursed in Genesis 3 is gone. You have access to me forever. We saw that in, in Revelation 21 as well. Uh, yes, sir? I don't believe that's true uh, at all. Um, don't, no, it's okay. I understand what, what that is. It just contradicts other things. Um, do we still have to work? Do, does the ground still yield like it did before? Do we still have to sweat for a living? I, I, don't, I, believe, I don't believe he did that. He removed the curse of the, of the earth when, he, when, he, when, he, uh, when the flood came and cleansed everything again but still the same ground with still the same issues, still the same weeds. I don't think that's the curse that he cursed in the garden. Okay, we'll talk about that later when, when I'll, I'll, show you, I'll show you what the truth is. Um, <clears throat> uh, I, 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 never mind. No, I, I didn't, didn't mean to come across that way. 
Uh, but we'll, we'll talk about it, for sure, for sure. Um, verse, verse 4. Um, they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. Literally, our names will be on his foreheads. What do you, on our foreheads, what do you think that means? And now compare that to Revelation 14 and verse 9. Somebody turn there real quickly and read loudly Revelation 14 and verse 9. Okay, I'll do it. Revelation 14 and verse 9 says, Do you see a uh, compare and contrast there? Do you see what, if you followed the beast, which was the devil, and Rome, and all of that, you were stamped, if you will, with the mark. You were his. You were his. Now, here we see that, that we shall see his face in this, when, when, when we get there, and his name shall be on our foreheads. Um... If you look at John 14 and verse 7, 3 John and verse 11, Acts 11 and verse 26, uh, this, this name, I, to me, I think it means the name of Christian, his followers. This, this name that we've been stamped with, if you will, is, is Christian. I think that's what he's talking about. We are owned by Christ, and he has stamped us with the with his name the name the name of christian if, if we have a little time at, at the end we may go back and look at john 14 verse 7 and third john 11 uh we, we may do that um there shall be no night there they need no lamp nor light of the sun for the lord god gives them light and they shall reign forever and ever look at first timothy 6 and verse 16 1 Timothy 6 and verse 16. I'll get there in a second. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 16 says, let me go back up uh, just a couple of verses there to get the context. Uh, that you keep the commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing, which he will manifest in his own time. He who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who has immortality dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man can, has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. This Jesus is described as in, being an unapproachable light. We saw that even in Sean's lesson this morning that his face was brighter than the sun. Um, we're going to see that face. And we're going to be his. We are his now. And we need no light there other than Jesus. Uh, for God gives them uh, the light, and, we, he shall, and they shall reign with him forever and ever. That, uh, any questions or thoughts on those first four verses?
Okay, I see where we're headed. Then he said to me, these words are faithful and true. We can move. Uh, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. We've seen that, we saw that early, very, very uh, early on, that things are going to happen shortly, that they're going to become, he says in the next verse, verse 7, Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Um, well, in verse, um, we've, we, we've talked about shortly and quickly and coming. Uh, we won't go into all that again. Uh, when he says, he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book, what's the idea there? Keeping the words of the prophecy of this book. You can tie it into Matthew 7, if you like. You sure can. Yep, read that, Ryan. Blessed is he who reads those who hear the word of the prophecy and keeps those things which are written in it for time. If you have to keep something, what does that imply? Hold it dearly. We hold it dearly for sure. You have to follow it. Who said that? You have to follow it. There are deeds to do. It's not a, uh, even Ken Leach used to say, he said, uh, Christianity is not a spectator thing. He was a sports guy, so he said a spectator sport. Uh, just coming in here on Sunday and a Wednesday, that won't get the job done. It's not a spectator sport. You have to do things, deeds. Jesus said, I'm going to judge you on the deeds at the last day. He says, I expect you to keep the words of this book, the, the deeds, the works. Keeps. Very important. Very important. Thoughts on that? Read that, Don. For we are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works, good work. in which we should walk therein. Yep. And the idea is what? Just an occasional thing? You, you, you take it in. That's right. That's right. Now I, John, saw and heard these things, and when I heard and saw, I fell down <clears throat> to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Now, what part of this is John not getting? That was a question I asked myself. Didn't he already do this earlier in the book? He did. You worship God. When you, when you look in, uh, um, when you look in Acts 10, remember that? Acts 10, Cornelius. What did, what did he do to, to even Peter? He, f he fell down to worship. What did Peter say? Stand up. Angels are created beings. Now, uh, we're made a little lower, Hebrew writer says, than angels. That's for sure. We're not on their level. But they were created beings, and, and this angel was very quick to point out again, you worship God, and you worship God only. Angels are important. They're messengers. The Hebrew writer says they're meant to come and actually serve us, to help us get through this life. How they do that, I don't know. But that's just what the, the, the Hebrew writer said. 
uh, but we worship God. We don't worship any angels. And there are religions that worship angels. That's not biblical. That's not biblical at all. Comments on that? John and Rick? John? You use the terms fellow servants. Fellow servants. Yeah. Fellow servants. John? I think you hit it right on the head, John. He was so overwhelmed by what he was seeing that he already did that. Anybody ever uh, make the same mistake more than once? Of course. Sometimes you can be overwhelmed by a situation. And John knew better. John was Jesus' best friend on the earth. But he's in awe of him now. And these angels, uh, he, you can imagine seeing all of this in this vision. You're going, I'm going an information overload here. And I'll fall down and worship whatever. I mean, I'm just, this, I'm in such awe. Lance. Well, it's just like in the lesson this morning. That they didn't know what to do, so Peter opens his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't Peter here, but John was there. <laughs> Good point. They didn't know what to do. And it's that uh, pregnant pause, that silence, and silence can be deafening. Just like when I ask anybody had any comments and I see all these blank faces, I'm there, I gotta say something here quick. <laughs> Leave people sleep. Um, that there's something about a silence and you just feel like you need to say something and do something. And nine times out of 10, what? You'll say the wrong thing. You'll say the wrong thing almost every time. You're better off not to say a word. And someday, I will learn that. Nah, probably not. I'll try. Uh, yes, sir. I'm sorry, I didn't understand you. Well, I'm telling you, it's dry all our tears here. We need more tears than this. And like you were talking about, uh, why grandma and grandpa was not. I was wondering if it was, if it was also speaking that we'll be in awe. But you think they were saying, like you're saying about uh, John, that would, would he also be talking that we'll just be, we'll just be all overwhelmed with what we're seeing that maybe that's why it won't be. I don't know about that, but I know we'll be in awe. You got, you got that part right. I got a feeling we'll walk around with our mouth uh, gapped open. If God is going through this, then imagine what we're going through. He was actually there with you. True. True. And he, <clears throat> pardon me. And he said to me in verse 10, Do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. Now, if you go back to Isaiah and some of those other prophets, after they saw what they saw, in one case, uh, I, I got it written down on my desk at home, I don't have it with me, Isaiah, that he told Isaiah, seal the book, seal this. Because, and he goes on to say, because it's going to be a while. It's 
going to be a while. Seal it up. What I just showed you, seal it, uh, keep it, keep it sealed, because it's going to be a while before these things play out. What this says is it's not long before these things play out. There's no need to seal it. Um, in fact, what was the worry early on in the first, first chapter or two? It's so sealed, there's nobody here that can even open the seals. And then they found Jesus, and he was able to open the seals. So he's saying there, times at hand, there's no reason to seal this up anymore. Um, because this is going to play out, and we'll see at the end of the book, this is the last message God has for the earth. This is it. There's no more. Now, we're going to go in about two weeks. We're going to go from this all the way back to Genesis 1, Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, Don's going to teach, and then I think I, I think I jumped back in at Genesis 3, but uh, we're going to go back to the, to the very beginning. Um, so that's, that's verse 10. Does that make uh, sense to you on the ceiling? Sean, do you think that's right? Right. Now, quickly is a relative term. Right, sure. We all know that. Um, I just don't think 2,000 years. Right, <laughs> right. No. Bert. Right. Right. It is. We'll, we'll get to verse eleven, and then we'll <clears throat> we'll stop. <clears throat> Pardon me, and we'll finish this up on Wednesday night. Kind of interesting that he. This is kind of thrown in right here. He who is unjust, let him be unjust. Still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy. Still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous. Still. He who is holy, let him be holy. Still. I gave you a little, I think what I think it means up there, that there are no second chances. That if you're going to be, you do the best you can, but those who are going to be filthy, just they're going to be filthy. Uh, those that are unrighteous, going to be unrighteous. It's going to be on them, but there's not going to be any second chances when we, when we stand before him. And the books were open, we just talked about, and another book was open. Too late, too late, no second chances, no second chances. Thoughts on that? Do you think that's Don? I think Sean could talk for next year on all of the false doctrines that are refuted by this statement right here. How many things have they come up with over the, the, the years and even some new things in the past 20 years where there is no heaven, That's it. That, that, that's it. That's absolutely it. Um, I can't amplify that. that. That's exactly what it is. That's exactly right. Uh, any other thoughts? We've got about a minute. Carol. As long as we're still living. We don't, do we? 
Um, as long as you're breathing, there's hope. It's absolutely true. Because you don't know when your last day of breathing is going to be. None of us do that. None of us know. But there's, you never give up on anybody. You know, I have members of my family, and there are members in other people's families here who, who maybe it's their uncle or their child or their, their son that's fallen away. You give up on them? No, as long as they're breathing, there's hope. There's hope. The prodigal son, did God give up on him? No. He was always watching. He didn't run to him and beg him, but he was watching. He was watching. When he saw him coming, then he went and fell on his shoulder. Go ahead, Don. You're, you're wearing me out. Say again. Second uh, Thessalonians 1, verses 6 and 7, which we're going to get to on Wednesday uh, with, with verse 12. But it certainly ties in, no, no question about it. Yes. 